Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. This week, we're talking with Cornelia Funke, the award-winning author of such beloved titles as the Inkheart series, The Thief Lord, and Dragon Rider. This month, Cornelia is returning to the Dragon Rider world with the highly anticipated sequel, The Griffin's Feather. We're also joined in the studio by Barry Cunningham, Cornelia's editor. Barry is the founder and publisher of the scholastic imprint Chicken House and the acquiring editor of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone in the UK. Hi, Barry. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Suzanne. Great to be back. Let me start with the fact that Chicken House has been credited with finding fiction that is, quote, quirky and original. What qualities do you look for in a manuscript? Well, I'm really looking for the kind of emotional hit in a story. Sometimes that's in humour. Sometimes that makes you laugh out loud. Sometimes that's in the peril perhaps more often in the peril. So I'm looking for uh, kind of reversal stories that don't end up where you think they're going and surprise me. Could you give us an example of a title that was a runaway hit that surprised you? Well, apart from Harry Potter, you mean. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I have to say that, that obviously Harry, for all its great future success, um, we never anticipated that story taking over the world. Thief Lord, though, by Cornelia Funke, who's the first book we published in the US. I remember going to this scholastic sales conference somewhat nervously and saying, I've got a, a, a new author from Germany in translation and the first book is set in Venice and we put some Italian words in the index and the pronunciation is Cornelia Funke so I thought well this is you know this is going to be difficult for them so so we launched Thief Lord on an unsuspecting US market and I thought it would do well but I didn't think it would capture the imagination won the best book of the year Cornelia was taken to the American heart and she lives in America now. She now lives on Malibu, <laughs> yes. Doesn't get better than that. No. After a gap of some 10 years since Dragon Rider 1 appeared, we're reissuing that. And we have the second adventure, Dragon Rider the Griffin's Feather, which stars the same cast of amazing characters, but this time with a new peril and a kind of ecological twist as well about how the world and its animals are under threat. And it's even more important that this, you know, admittedly rather strange band of characters, including a little automatic robot man, a goblin, and of course a dragon get together to save the world. You talked about a risk that you took with Cornelia, especially since you worried something might get lost in translation. Since you're based in the UK, do you need to Americanize your books for your audience here? No, we don't really believe in that. I think that the modern kids are very sophisticated and they, they kind of like a different place and a different time. We sometimes change some of the, the spellings of the words. And, you know, there are the famous example that if, if we talk about wearing pants, we mean underclothes. And of course, it doesn't mean the same thing here. So, you know, there are things to avoid. 
Floyd. Interestingly, or not interestingly, depending on your point of view, punctuation is very different in America. You guys here use a lot more commas, perhaps because of the way you speak. And here I am putting commas in my answer to you, you see, as I pause. So we don't tend to use all those commas and stuff like that. But more or less, we stay to where the story was set in the time it was set. Interesting. What tips do you give your writers who are trying to get into the minds of kids? Well, I always talk about trying to go back to the child that you were, that you felt most passionate about. And I guess it goes back to my first answer, really, which is trying to find the emotion in the story. So what was the age that the writer felt most concerned, most passionate, most upset, most angry? You know how you know sometimes you're very angry as a child at the injustice of adults or or what's going on around you or, or sometimes you just you're just lost in wonder you know you can't believe that these things are true somebody once told me uh, movingly about um, science science was imagination made real you know and that's what it's like when you're a kid isn't it you're discovering things which you can't believe the truth of so I, I try and get my writers to go back to the time they felt most concerned with most emotionally close to and then recreate that age if they can What advice do you have for parents who might be searching for books for their kids? What should they be looking for? Do you know, I don't think they should be looking for books that will improve their childhood. I don't think you should look for books that teach moral lessons because I think those those lessons are inherent in great stories. So I think you should look for the books that your children will hug. You know, the books with that lovely emotional story, whether it's about animals or it's about dragons or it's about childhood. Stories that, that your children will identify f- and feel good about. I was a bookseller for quite a long time and it always shocked me when I saw parents take books away from children. So they picked a book in the store and then they took it out of their hand and the parent would say, no, 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 you you need something more older than that, more complicated, more serious, you know, and I, and I, I really got upset on behalf of children. I I publish books that will primarily entrance children, entertain children. And and that's what I think parents should let their children enjoy. Because stories stories are another way of telling the truth. And that's what we should always remember. As we approach the 20th anniversary of the Harry Potter series in the US, what are your reflections on being a key part of that legacy? Well, I, you know, I remain so proud and and so in awe of of everything that, that that book and that series and you guys on this side of the Atlantic have achieved as well. And of course, I'm very proud to be a part, a small part, really, of making reading cool again and bringing a lot of children back into reading who, who, who at the time we published, people were saying that boys especially, you know, would have enough trouble finishing the back of a PlayStation packet, let alone a 600-page novel. So I'm, I'm very proud of that. And I'm very proud that I was the one that picked it, really, when everybody else turned it down. So I do feel that I've played a little bit of an important part in that. And uh, I'm looking forward. I love it. I just love it, love it, love it. When you see parents introducing the books to their kids, grandparents now introducing the books to the kids and passing on that legacy. And I suppose, you know, without being silly and over-emotional about it, it is a legacy of love, you know, that the characters look after each other. It's about friendship. It's about sticking to what you believe in against um, a fearsome foe who won't go away. Something that's just as real today as it ever was. 
You're bringing up a wonderful point that we now, after 20 years, we have parents who read the book, actually, as children who grew up with it, introducing it to their yeah, children. Yeah, that's so cool, isn't it? Extraordinary. <laughs> We're going to be talking with Cornelia next, as you know. She's one of your big writers. I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about how that collaboration came about. Yeah, this is a true story. It sounds like it's a story that the, that, a, that a clever publicist made up, but actually it's not. It's absolutely true. A young girl who was a, a niece of somebody who used to work with us wrote me a letter. Uh, and she wrote me a letter. And I get quite a lot of Dear Harry Potter publisher letters. But this one said, Dear Harry Potter publisher, you really need to publish a book by Cornelia Funker. She's better than Harry Potter. And these are the reasons. And she'd drawn a big cake and then she'd listed the ingredients of the cake, which are all about Cornelia's stories and all about the ingredients. So, of course, how could I resist? So I, I, I had to find out about this German writer. So I, I found out eventually and I was able to get someone to translate a little bit of it. And we started to publish it. It was a great story. But I never would have sought her out if I hadn't had that letter from the little girl. Oh, that's fascinating. Thank you so much. Now let's get Cornelia on the line with us. Hi, Cornelia. We're delighted to have you here with us. Very delighted to talk to you today. You have a new book coming out in the U.S. Could you tell us about it? Well, first of all, I, I have to say, I think I've been really more excited about a book coming out in the U.S. because it's been so long since Dragon Rider was published here. And as by now, America is my home, you could say. It's, of course, especially exciting to have the sequel coming now. This is the sequel to Dragon Rider. It's a sequel to Dragon Rider. All my readers will say, which we waited for far too long. I tried in between several times, I promise. And it always felt like quite a lame sequel, like repeating myself and I don't like that for sequels so now finally the right story came and it has already been released in Germany where luckily I heard from all readers that they were very pleased so hopefully the American Dragon writers will feel the same. It's it's lovely to have all the familiar characters back isn't it as well Cornelia? Yes, it felt really so, I thought, oh, it will be difficult. You are so much older. Can you still write like that? Did your voice change? And to step back into the story, meet them all again and feel like you just meet family again. And it's good and so easy and playful. That was a wonderful experience. Tell us a little bit about the title, Dragon Rider, the Griffin's Feather. Yes, as you probably can already imagine there will be griffins in there. I wanted to uh, write a sequel where there are fabulous creatures and they're equally as equally powerful as a dragon. And there are not many, as you know. So I have always been fascinated by the griffin. But I think that was also a trigger in my private life because I had two parakeets. And uh, they further inspired the monsters and the wonderful creatures you will meet in this book. What, what is a griffin? I mean, I know I should know, so I shouldn't really ask you that. It's a bird and a lion, you could say, to make it simple, yes. but they also have a snake's tail. So in a way, there are different variations of griffins, but most of the representations you see, especially in the ruins in, 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 in Persia and in other places, you see that ferocious eagle-like creature with the body of a lion and the tail of that is a living snake. So cool. Very, very cool. Could you read an excerpt from the book for us? 
Yes, I picked just a little piece that is almost like, okay, we just landed on an island in Indonesia and we are looking for griffins. To Ben, it was like entering another world when after the bright sunlight shadows suddenly cast checkered patterns on his clothes. The hot air was humid and moist, like the hot houses in the zoo where tropical lizards dream of the heat in their native lands. And when he looked up, he saw not one, but a dozen canopies of leaves. It was a multi-storied structure of branches, creepers, flowers, and foliage, and may you doubt that anything like sky existed. Luckily, Hothbrod, the huge troll, trudged ahead, plowing a path through the dense thickets that allowed them to walk on with reasonable ease. But in spite of the troll's long strides, it was not until noon that they reached the foothills of the mountains where the griffins were supposed to nest. The slopes were soon rising so steeply that Hothbrot had to stop more and more often to lean against a tree, gasping for breath. By suitor's flaming sword, he cursed, raising his arms, which were dripping with sweat. Trolls are made for such weather, Barnabas. This island is like an oven, Niffle on earth. He just bent to throw a particularly venomous viper into the surrounding trees when Ben heard a rustling above them. At first, he saw only the gibbon, then the two macaques, and then he felt a sharp pain. He saw Hothbrot sway like a chopped tree, and all the green around him turned black. Oh, tricky, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, sounds wild. No griffins yet, but I thought I'd leave that to the readers to really meet them. Oh, thank you for reading that. Could you and Barry talk a little bit about how you work together on these titles? Well, we we are lucky enough that Cornelia has published these first in Germany, so she's done lots of the revising and lots of the organization. But we we both enjoy very much working with Anthea Bell, who's been Cornelia's translator on the first book as well as this one. Anthea is sadly unwell, so yes, um, you know yes. we, we're kind of you know we're feeling a dedication to publishing this book as I think it was the last one that she translated before she became unwell. So yes, that I so agree. That is a very special thing about this book because I was so grateful when Barry brought Anthea Bell in as as my translator already for the first Dragon Rider, and it has been an enchanting collaboration with her. She is an incredibly inspired translator who asks you the most fantastic questions about why you name a character this way whether you could come up with another name. For example, in Dragon Rider, Sorrel in German would be called Salfafer if you translate it correctly. But she rightfully said, it doesn't sound really very well in English, but what about Sorrel, which is quite a spicy plant? And that is a good example for what Anthea can do. So that sometimes when I read these books in English, I feel like I wrote them exactly that way which is, of course, the greatest magic translators can do. And I agree with Barry. It has always been so enjoyable to then work together on the translation. And you will be astonished how many mistakes a translator still finds, although a very experienced and good German editor has been through the text. <laughs> it's it's lovely, isn't it, Cornelia? It's like um, being a film star in a way, that you have a voice in another language which manages to capture everything that Cornelia wants to capture in, in another language. How did you get the idea for the original Dragon Rider? 
that is a very twisted and interesting story, but I will try to cut it short. The very, very first book I ever wrote was called A Quest for a Dragon, uh, published in Germany. At some point, um, a German TV producer optioned it for a puppet series. And he said, but, you know, the story is not long enough. You need to stretch it. And I said, well, you cannot stretch books. I have to write a new one. So I sat down and started Dragon Rider. And while I wrote that on my very first book, I realized, first of all, I don't want marionettes in my head while I'm writing this. I see real people. And this is getting much bigger and more beautiful than I thought. And I bought the rights back, although I didn't have any money at that time, and went to my German publisher and said, I want to write this really big, long Dragon Rider book. But he said, I stop you right there. Forget about TV and movies. First of all, you're a novelist, and we will support that you really write a big and long book. And that was very important for me. So Dragon Rider, in a way, became my first book that showed me how wonderful it is to tell really long stories. For young children who haven't discovered Dragon Rider yet, what do you want them to know about what should they be on the lookout for when they see your books? First of all, I think my books are all about friendship. I don't believe in uh, single heroes. I believe that you always need somebody and some people, creatures by your side, and that we all need that. I, of course, fulfilled the dream I always had in Dragon Rider to ride a dragon. And I hope that they will enjoy the journey they will have on the dragon's back, although Sorrel will sit behind them and will be very nasty to them. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Many people know you, of course, for the Inkheart trilogy. What surprised you most about the responses you got from readers, which must have been overwhelming? Yeah, with Inkheart, it is still quite overwhelming how alive that book is still. Uh, I think the most overwhelming experience for me is that when I wrote it, I thought, well, okay, that will be a smaller book of yours because it's only for book addicts. So I rewrite it for that little group of completely crazy bookophiles, book eaters. So I was like, okay, that will be a limited audience, but it's your passion project, so do it. That Ink Hut, funnily by now, is the book where people who never read write to me or approach me and say, You know, I I never thought much about books, but my God, this book made me fall in love with books. And actually, now I train as a bookbinder. So that that happened is for me still the greatest magic of Inkheart. Wonderful. That's really, really, what a story. What are you working on now? Well, I am working on short stories, actually one Christmas short story on London, a fairy tale collection. I just finished a story for the Getty I write regularly short stories that then I perform at the museum to then have families go into exhibits with my story in their mind. That's a great fun project. And of course, I'm also working on the next Dragon Rider adventure. Dragon Rider 3. We're really looking forward to that. Yes. We truly are. You guys want to give anything away here? Well, what I can give away is that it will be set in Malibu. Because for a while I was like, oh, okay, I know exactly what will happen. I know quite well what creature will show up. Why do I go to, maybe I go to Denali National Park in Alaska, far away from human civilization. And then I thought, no, this is about what happens when they show up in the middle of what we think is 
our civilization, our life, what will happen then? So as I am so very much at home here, I wanted to give children also the feeling that I experienced is so important for them from Seafloor, that there is a place I will describe that they can go to. Love that. Well, it's been such a delight to talk with you both. Thank you very, very much for making the time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much to Barry and Cornelia for joining us. And thank you for listening. To learn more about the Griffin's Feather or Chicken House's other titles, check the show notes or go to scholasticreads.com. Don't miss an episode of Scholastic Reads. Find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And each new episode will automatically be delivered to your phone. Special thanks to producer Emily Morrow, sound engineers Daniel Jordan and Chris Johnson, and music composer Lucas Elliott Eberl. I'm Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads with you next time.